you should only have processes and SOPs if you want to be efficient and make money. If that's not important to you, <laughs> if you don't want to make any money, and if you're just doing it for fun, and you want to waste a lot of time, then don't worry about having processes. everyone, welcome back to the Business of Freelancing podcast, where we help you get better clients, make more money, and live a happier and healthier life freelancing. I'm your host, Brennan Dunn, and I'm coming to you from a very hot, very humid day here in southeastern Virginia. Uh, before we get into the interview, I just, want to, I just want to share about how important it is to let professionals do their thing. And what I mean by that is, back last year when I recorded the videos that went into Double Your Freelancing Clients, which was a part video course, part kind of mentorship uh, course that I've created. I hired somebody to do all the filming, all the editing, all the production of, of, of the course, of the course part at least. And now that I'm doing this new video podcast slash audio podcast, Freelance Answers, I've hired professionals to do the editing, the transcription, putting it up on the site, publishing it, everything else. But since these are all remote people and filming is a very in-person action, I've been trying to do it yourself, the video production, you know, the actual filming of it. So I'm in my home office. I've got behind me two lights, my DSLR, my Canon 70D, my MacBook, which is sitting on top of the footrest of my chair and that's plugged into my preamp which is then plugged into my shotgun mic and it's all very i mean it's a great setup i mean the the components are all very good the issue though is just yesterday i spent probably about an hour and a half filming those little flip screens that are on the dslrs that let you see what you're recording well it looked fine and then i go i finish recording I copy it over to my computer and I open it up and I'm blurry. Like it it looked fine on on that small 3.5 inch screen whatever it is, but I put it up on my 27 inch display and oops, <laughs> like I just I, the content was fine but that one little thing. So anyway, this is again why why it's important to let professionals do their job and not to always attempt to do everything yourself. So I still haven't found an in-person videographer local to me, but I just wanted to kind of vent for a second and and let you uh, let you know a bit about kind of the the trials and tribulations of of my life. <laughs> so let's dive right into the interview. So I I met with Trajan King. Trajan is has a lot of experience both in Silicon Valley and in on Wall Street, and he's kind of built up this consulting business of his and. He's grown his business, and he's grown it primarily by having really good processes and procedures in place. And I've talked a good amount on the importance of processes and the importance of kind of having systems for how you do certain things, but I haven't really talked to anyone yet on the podcast about specifically what are some things you want to have in place that will allow you to both systematize, even if you're a solo business, even if it's just yourself and you have no plans to delegate anything out, Trajan and I talk about why it's important regardless 
to have systems and processes in place helping you do your job and helping you do you know awesome work for your clients. So check out the interview. And at the end, again, I'd love to hear from you on on iTunes about what you think of the podcast. Anything helps because that my goal is to get us in the even though we're not a new podcast, I'd like to get us in the new and noteworthy section of iTunes. And so any help that you can uh, you can lend would I'd really appreciate that. So uh, here's Trajan. So I want to introduce you guys to Trajan King. Trajan has, I'm just looking at his bio here. He's got like, I mean, he's he's done a lot. He's been um, CFO, CEO of several companies. He's worked on Wall Street. He's worked in Silicon Valley. I mean, I'm reading here, you know, you've consulted with clients like eBay, Adobe, Honda, Symantec, Oracle, Apple, Yahoo. And uh, nowadays, it sounds like you're doing a lot of training for entrepreneurs along with your running a digital marketing agency. Did I, did I get that all right? You, you did. Thanks a lot. Cool. It's uh, great to be on the show, Brennan. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, you nailed it. You've got like, a, I can imagine your logo wall. Like what it must look like, <laughs> you know, like logo of, of portfolio clients. It's a nice job. This is this is. I, thank you. I've had a little bit of a schizophrenic career over the last twenty years, but it's been it's been great. I feel like it's given me a lot of good experience cool. in different things. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's you know, from one coast to the other coast, it seems like you've you've got your bases covered. <laughs> I think so. So, what I wanted to talk about with you was something that I'm actually, and we were talking before the show about this, I'm actually kind of revisiting now for the first time in a, in a while. And that is really building processes that help me better scale, better grow, better systematize my business. And that's one of the things that I know you're, you're basically an expert at. You know how to develop processes. You know how to you know, streamline internal workflows, right? Right, right. And I would recommend, uh, just to get this started, recommend anybody read The E-Myth. Yes. Uh, the new, new version is E-Myth Revisited. That, that book does a great job of walking through the processes of, of or the, the process of setting up processes and how to offload different pieces of the processes to, to other people. And then uh, while, we're, while we're doing book reports, I would add the goal to that um, by Eliyahu Goldthrate. That talks about throughput and all those kind of processes in manufacturing that you can apply for your business. So maybe that's some some place to start. And it's called the goal. Okay, I I, I haven't read that, but Emith though I want to tell you is one of the that book was life changing. I mean that was when I think it, remember that example at the beginning where it's the baker who was really good at baking and then she starts her company and then she realizes that running a bakery is much more than just being able to bake cakes, right? And that to me was big because when I, and I've said this a lot, when, when I first started my agency and, and really consulting, I thought that my, you know, my business was my ability in my case to write code. And that's what I focused on and that's what I sold and that's what I thought my role was. But I, I ended up realizing that, you know, it was much bigger than that. And that book really did help me really get a glimpse, I guess, into, into really what it meant to run a business. Yeah. I, I, I like that as well, because when you start a business, you're pretty much doing everything. And like the example you used, if, if you get into a business because you love cake, 
you've got to realize that that's most of the time you're not going to be baking cakes. Right. You're going to be doing sales or accounting or, or, or cleaning or outreach to your community. I mean, there are a hundred other things that you've got to do besides baking cake. So if you're getting into it because you love cake, then maybe you're going to, you're going to struggle if you don't realize that there's not a whole lot of actual cake baking. Yeah. And you're going to get depressed probably when you realize that that passion, that thing you wanted to do full time for a living, it's not what you do all day, right? Like there's a lot of overhead. There's a lot of businessy tasks that need to be done. Yeah. Uh, but the good thing is, is you can find people who you can partner with or hire eventually that do love to do all that other stuff. So eventually I think you can get back to baking more cakes, but it takes time and setting up processes and job descriptions and partnering and hiring and doing all that to get to the point where you can actually focus on exactly what you love or more of it anyway. So let, let's start from there. So the average listener is a freelancer, maybe is starting to maybe has a small team, but most people are independent or solo. You know, they're, they're talented at web design, web development, writing, marketing, whatever it is they're good at. But you and I both know there's a lot of other stuff involved. There's selling, there's marketing, there's proposal writing, there's invoicing, make sure you get paid, bookkeeping. I mean, there's all these things that are on top of whatever their core competency is. I see a lot of people who, first off, they don't really expect to need to do a lot of that before they become you know, a full-time freelancer. They kind of just expect to, you know, bake cakes, you know, whatever, whatever it is they're doing, you know, all day, every day. And they kind of get thrown into needing to do a lot of this on their own. So they learn how to, um, how to go and find clients. They learn how to write proposals. And, and a lot of this though, keeps them from billing, keeps them from doing what they're good at, which, you know, is, is, is hard for people. So, you know, a lot of the questions I get are things like, um, how do I hire a salesperson? You know, I, I don't know anything about sales. I've never sold. I, I haven't really sold in my life, but I want to just get it off my plate. How do I do that? And I was a little more cautious than that. Like, I want to be good at doing something before I delegate it out. But I think a lot of us, myself included, have an issue with creating processes and delegating out those processes to others. I mean, there's the the typical things like, I could get it done myself faster versus training somebody. Um, nobody will do it as good as I do. These are usually the objections that uh, people have. Yeah, or maybe the fears that people have. If you're trying, if you want to get it off your plate, that sounds like you want to take the most disgusting part of your business that you can't stand and just offload it to somebody else. Right. Which I think that kind of that attitude is natural, but it's a mistake because then you're you're disengaging yourself from that kind of that part of the business with which is dangerous it's your business and you should be engaged and understand every single part of that business and all of the processes in your business so you can ensure that they're running efficiently and if you're just throwing it over the wall so somebody else can deal with it then you're blocking it out of your out of your mind and hoping that somebody else takes care of it and when they don't because often people that you hire or partner with may not have the same passion and dedication to your business that you do and you expect them to, but they're not going to. And you, if you offload it to them thinking they're just going to handle it, you might be disappointed to find you've got a, they, they leave or they quit and you've got a big mess on your hands to clean up that you weren't aware of. 
and you have no idea how to do it because you just let them handle it. So there's kind of a, a degree of management that needs to go into it too. Right? Yeah, I think it, there's a fine line between between micromanaging and and then just giving it to somebody. But I think that where that comes into play is if you understand all of the processes and you set up the processes and then let somebody else uh, manage those processes. So like we were saying before, I think it's really important to understand every single part of your business and be involved in that like in the sales. When you start, for one, you don't have the money to go hire a salesperson most likely. You've got to do that. And it's great that even if that's not your forte and you hate sales and you're not good at it and you just want to design logos or or bake cakes or whatever, you still got to sell because one, you need the money. And two, it's great experience to know that process. So when you do hire a salesperson and they're telling you, well, I can only make five sales calls a day because trust me, that's how long it takes, then you know that 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 they're not doing the work that you need them to do. You know what the processes are and you can judge intelligently whether you've got a good salesperson or not because you've done it before and you've been there before. And Maybe you weren't that great, but at least you have an idea of how it works or should work so you can properly manage that person and have more credibility doing it. Have you ever been in a, in a job where your boss has no idea what you, you, what you do? And you, that boss just has no credibility because... They don't even understand your job, so how can they manage you? And once you're on the other side of that, when you're the boss, you need credibility with your with your employees or even your contractors that you understand their job and what they're trying to do. Right, and I mean, it's it reminds me of back. I I remember I was working in an agency down in Florida, and we had uh, client partners who were basically salespeople. They were you know had a relationship with the client, and they sold them on ongoing projects. And uh, we would always, you know, I was in the technical department and these client partners who were totally technically illiterate would be selling like web design or, you know, development projects on our behalf without ever asking us about, you know, what's involved or anything like that, like that. And it, it, it reflected in the ultimate project, right? Like, I mean, right. the client ends up getting billed a lot more than they thought. And yeah, but I, I'm fully in agreement that. You know, like when I delegate things out now, there are things that I've already not maybe not mastered, but at least I know I've done it of myself a few times already. I'm not delegating it out because it's unknown territory to me. Now, I, I do want to mention, though, that there are some things like we were talking before video production, video production, is something I, I really I know the basics in that I've uh, played around with. Adobe Premiere and After Effects before, but I would not consider myself a competent video editor, video producer, whatever. But that's still some, that's a need that I have. Video production is a need I have in my business. So I needed to bring somebody on. But I, I think you're right though, that at least, you know, that's, that's why Google is so amazing, right? You can find out the basics, at least so you can be, a, you, you have an understanding of the landscape. Yeah, and, and and I think that's a good example. Like video production, it's probably not worth your time to to really get in deep and and learn it. But I think it's worth your time to to ask questions of the person you're working with, and maybe even sit down next to them for a little bit to see what the process is and how long things take, and what you can expect, and and learn about it just enough so you you know the processes and and so you can manage it. 
you know, I think we both know kind of what the if the average listener is somebody who is running their freelancing business full time on their own, they're probably not delegating anything yet. You know, it's a it's a one man, one woman, woman shop. What would be a good starting point? Like what what are kind of the you know, let's say you wanted to start to systematize parts of their business and in the parts of the business that we know about are that are standard are the sales funnel, which is acquiring leads, moving them through that funnel and closing those leads, along with kind of the fulfillment overhead, like um, invoicing and project management or, you know, th- those sort of things. Right. What um what advice do you have around like getting started, I guess, in I think the the first step or the most important part of of any business is the finances because you're in business to to make money. And I often hear with the startups that I that I work with people say, "Oh, I'm not good with money. I'm not good at financing. I just don't like that stuff." So, I'm either going to have somebody else deal with it or I'm just going to not deal with it, which is far too common than it than it should be. That is the lifeblood of your business. That's the reason you're doing it. And especially if you're more on the creative side of the spectrum, that I, I see people that just do what they love, doing the design or the, the projects or whatever it is, and then hoping that the finances will take care of themselves, which they never do. So I, I think that's the, the thing to focus on from day one is really getting a handle on, on the finances and figuring out what your profit margins are and where your money's going and where your money's coming from. And looking at that every single day, because that's that's going to determine whether or not you stay in business. Right. Which, I mean, to be honest, for most consultants, it's a little easier because income is usually a few big checks and then expenses are usually a few other big expenses, right? Um, it's <laughs> right. not like we're dealing with micro payments, most of us at least. And so, so basically you're saying just basically have an understanding of, you know, put together a profit and loss statement, right? Look at like you know, have an understanding of what's coming in, what's going out and what are your margins and how healthy is the business financially? Yeah. Well, and I I would also track profitability by project and calculate how much you're actually making by hour. If you do a project that is a, that is a fixed price, carefully, carefully track how many hours you're, you're spending on that project and figuring out, figure out how much per hour you're making. Um, which is easy to lose track of when you're bidding a project and say, okay, I'll do this for a thousand bucks. And then you get into it. And after a while you, you spent a thousand, a thousand hours <laughs> for a dollar an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're making a dollar <laughs> an hour and you may not realize it once you're doing a lot of projects and working with clients and you've got a lot going on. But I, I like tracking everything I do for by dollar per hour, especially if you're, if, if you're freelancing because you want to increase that dollar per hour that you're working and take a look at the processes that you've got in place or what, how you're spending your time and see how you can increase the, the dollar rate per hour for every project. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big advocate, like, like you're saying, of tracking time really for everything. You know, all, all your business processes, whether it be billable work or non-billable, and really coming up with a, you know, trying to determine the ROI on that time, right? Yeah, and, yeah, they, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, you know, I get I get a lot of people who bid fixed price projects. I mean, they, they only work on fi- fixed price, you know, projects. And I'm a lot of because I, I run a software product called PlanScope and we have support for that. And a lot of people 
don't use the built-in timers. And they're like, well, why should I use the time tracking features? I'm billing a flat rate. Like, well, don't you want to know the effective value of your time? Like, don't you want to know for the future next time you quote a project, you know, you want to be profitable, right? Yeah, to see if you quoted the right thing. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I'm glad you said that because I think there's a lot of people who really don't understand, especially the non-billable stuff. Like, how much time are you putting into sales? Like, what is the, like... My favorite is, you know, you have people who might spend an hour or two on a proposal and let's say they close, you know, 25% of their proposals. Well, then they're looking at, you know, if it's two hours of proposal, they're looking at eight hours of proposal writing to create one client. Well, what is the value of a client? I don't know. A lot of people don't know that, right? I think it's really important to know kind of every step of that funnel and how much time is going into supporting each step of the funnel. And what is the ultimate profitability on that time? Right. Yeah. I think I think you need to look at the the rate in two different ways. One is how long you spend on that project. So you do a thousand dollar project, and it takes you an hour to actually do the project. You might think, oh, that takes. I just made a thousand dollars an hour. Yeah, but you sold. It but, took ten hours to sell it. Yeah, but like you said, you had to you had to do the whole sales process. You had to sell it. You had to scope it. You had uh, calls. And then you look back on it, and it took you a hundred hours. That's a lot different, <laughs> right? Than, than than one hour. So, so I think it's important to look at it that way, and then also track the lifetime customer value, uh, how how long people stay with you, and it varies depending on what your product and industry is. But how long people stay using your product, if it's a subscription, or how long they stay a client, and then how much they how much they mean to you financially over over the lifetime of how long they're with you. Right. And then that, that, you know, we were going to talk about the sales funnel a little bit. I think that is important to have that data to know how much you can spend in time and money to get that client, to make sure that you're making a profit. Yeah, we ended up actually. So one of the things we started to do within my own agency was we had minimum project budgets, right? And, you know, it started out at, I think, 10,000, and they moved up to 20 and then ultimately settled at 50,000 a project. So what that meant for us was we were rejecting really anything below that. And a lot of people at first were like, well, why would you, you know, if somebody wanted to give you $20,000, why would you say no to that? And ultimately our, our reasoning was, well, you know, we put a lot of effort into the, what happens pre-sales or not pre-sales, pre-project. And, you know, based on our margins, based on everything else, this is when it becomes worthwhile for us based off of how we sell the amount of time that we spend into kind of onboarding new clients, that it's worthwhile for us to do that. And if you're a freelancer, you're running a business. Businesses have profit margins and they have conversion rates between every step of the funnel, whether it be uh, first contact to lead, lead to project lead, project lead to um you know, proposal issued, proposal issued to uh, contract signed, you know, all, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And, and a lot of people, I think, don't really have an understanding of that for their own business. Right, right. Which you definitely, you, you need that. You need to be tracking all those, all those metrics. I'm, my, my background, I'm not a creative person like, like you and a lot of the free, freelancers. My background is, is finance and accounting and uh, my MBA is in, is in accounting. And, and I really love the numbers, but 
even if I didn't, I think I, I would have to force myself to to love numbers, not just like financial and accounting, but all of the the KPIs, the key performance indicators to track if your business is is healthy or not. And without that, if you just have your head down working on your projects, you could go out of business without even knowing it, which is very, which is sadly very common in the business world. Right. Especially when you have a lot of like really talented people who uh, they, they, their business revolves around their creative abilities versus their ability to make a profit and sell a client. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I I think that's the biggest downfall to most new freelancers is people who are just kind of unaware of that reality. Um, of, of yeah, and if work. you're not used to it, then it might be a little bit scary to get into the into the the numbers part if you don't like it or not used to it. But you still got to do it. So go find some training or find a mentor, somebody that can that can help you get a handle on that. Right. Why should a freelancer begin to think about systematizing and and begin to think about you know even if they're doing most of, mostly everything them, themselves at the moment. Should they have processes? Should they have standard operating procedures for, you know, various bits of their business? You should only have processes and SOPs if you want to be efficient and make money. If that's not important to you, <laughs> if you don't want to make any money, and if you're just doing it for fun, and you want to waste a lot of time, then don't worry about having processes. But we, we you it's, just lost not all of you. you just lost all of our listeners because no one <laughs> listening cares about any of that. <laughs> well, that's perfect. If you just want to make the world a better place. And you've got a big trust fund, then don't have processes at all. So describe to me some examples of what typical processes should be in place. Well, let's start from the very beginning, talking about a, a sales process or sales a sales funnel, how you're getting taking a, a a cold lead or somebody who doesn't know you, moving them through a funnel to making them warm and hot and making them a client. And then selling them. So, uh, so for example, one of the one of the sales funnels that I use is I love Facebook ads. So I've got a process set up where I, I run an ad on Facebook. It takes them to a landing page. They opt in to my email list, and they get a, a video three part video series from that, so they can get to know me, get to know who I am, and what what I what I offer, so I can provide some some value to them. And then they get an invite to my uh, private Facebook group, and then every week I send them I send them new content. So that's one process that I've set up in the sales funnel to systematize all of that. So with the objective of finding new people and getting them to know who I am. So I'm not even trying to sell anything yet. I'm just trying to establish establish credibility and establish my my name recognition with them. And then I move them to the next step. So that's just just one small piece of of a sales funnel. And so I would take that if I were starting starting new or starting a new process, I would set up start from the very beginning my sales funnel, and then and then my engagement funnel, and then my project, how I'm going to get projects or how I'm going to get clients, and then take it. The next piece is how I'm going to deliver those those projects and in, in what time frame. What are the deliver deliverables like? Whatever, depending on the project, what are the the scope that I'm delivering, and then after the sale, which is forgotten about a lot of times, is how I'm, how am I going to treat the clients after the sale? What am I going to do to to thank them for their business? To ask for referrals, to generate 
new business or ongoing business from that client. And then months down the road, three, six, or 12 months down the road, how am I going to revisit them again to check in to keep that relationship going? So it's kind of a whole continuum of small processes and small small standard operating procedures in each of those pieces that can be broken down into smaller pieces. So each part of the life cycle of a client, you have processes built around around that from acquisition to, um, you know, ultimately keeping them close after delivery and, and soliciting right. referrals and everything. What does tangibly, let's go back to that, the example of the acquisition, you know, bit where you talk about you've got, you've got Facebook ads that drive people to a landing page that then drive them to an email sequence, an autoresponder of, of videos and everything else. What does that look like tangibly? And I can tell you, I mean, I do something very similar. And one of the things I'm obsessive about is saying, well, it costs me, um, you know, $2 to get somebody on my landing page. And then it costs me $4 to get somebody onto my autoresponder sequence. And then it costs me, you know, whatever, like, you know, having like an idea where you're, you're continuously updating a document or a spreadsheet or something that's showing kind of the ROI of, you know, I plug in this much money into Facebook. Right. This is how much money I'm getting out at the end. Is this like a document that is uh, bullet points? or I mean, wh- what does this look like tangibly? Well, if we broke it down into the very simplest formula for profitability, it would be lifetime customer value minus how, long, how much it costs to acquire that customer equals, equals a profit. And, and then minus the time I spent on the on that on that client. But if you want to keep it very simple, it's how long I can how long I can keep that client and how much work I can get from them over time, minus how much it costs me to get that client and produce the work equals the profit. So that right. that would be the very basic. And then I would break that up into pieces. Yeah, and like you said, it's on uh, on a spreadsheet where I take. Uh, I take all the data, all the average data, and sometimes it's not easy to easy to guess, so you have to make some assumptions. But it's per client on average, how long do they stay with me, and how long do they, how much do they spend over that over that time? So, for example, I run a subscription website, so I take my subscription is forty five dollars a month, for example, times they stay with me for let's say a year, so that that's how much it costs, and then I back track all of the the cost to get that person per client and uh, with Facebook ads, uh, how many people convert. So say a hundred people go into my email list and five people buy. So I've got to take all of that cost for the ads and divide that by the, by the five people. And that's, that's my acquisition cost. So that, that doesn't of course include any of the time or any of my overhead. So you've got to make sure that you account for that eventually. But but when you're just asking how do you track it and how do you keep calculate all of it, I would start from just the very basic, especially if you're not doing any of this yet. Start from the from the basic and then you can get more detailed about how much you're how much you're tracking right. each of those each of those steps. And I think I mean a lot of I think a, a, an objection a lot of freelancers might have as well, you know, I'm not actually using paid ads, I'm getting clients via th- referrals or meeting them at networking events. So there really isn't like an acquisition cost, right? In the traditional sense. Right. Um, but there's a process. Right. Exactly. When you get somebody's card at a, at a business event, you should, ha- you should do the same thing every time. Yep. 
like a uh, checklist, really. Their, I mean, you yeah, could have a you, checklist you, for you get their card, you go home, you look at that checklist. Okay, step one is I put their I put their card into my CRM. Step two is I email them, and step three is yep. I I call them in three days, and you know whatever that process might be for your business. I do a lot of that myself, and and the reason why isn't because I'm forgetful. Like I I could do that mostly on, you know, I, I could do that without having a written checklist, right? I mean, most of us, I think, could. But the, the thing is, and this is something that I try to, I guess, kind of delves into psychology and, and everything else, but there's a there's a, a cost to decision-making, right? There's, a, there's overhead to that. There's cognitive overhead and needing to make decisions throughout the day. So the less decisions you make, the less cost there is in that, right? So I think one of the benefits that I think of doing that is not only do you have a process that you can, yes, maybe ultimately delegate to somebody else or that you can kind of use to really reflect on like, why am I doing how I do things? But on top of that, it, it helps you be more, you know, mechanical, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting <laughs> it, right? Where it's right. a little more, you don't need to make these like it's not like you're and to be honest, I mean, another benefit to this, too, is I, I I even like I mean, I have checklists around like structuring that first sales meeting. And I usually make this I, I'll usually send it to the client because it makes me look really professional. Right? right. Like the client is like, OK, they he's done this before. Like this is he's this is an amateur hour. You know, he's got a way of kind of guiding me through. And that's what clients want reassurance. They want, yeah, they, they want to, they want to know that they're in, they're in a process. Capable hands. Right. Yeah. If, if it looks like you're just making it up, even though you might be the best in the world of this and you do it a hundred times a day, but it's the perception of the client. They want to know that you know what you're doing and they're, they're in some kind of, they're in some kind of funnel. They're being led through something that you do a lot. Yeah. I have to say one of the best moves I made ever with consulting was to have a qualifying questionnaire that is really the first bit of contact that goes between me and a new lead because most of my competitors are out saying like open-ended yeah tell me about this website you want or yeah we could talk or something you know something kind right. of fuzzy whereas i'm coming back with you know what is the business problem at hand that you're looking you know you're hoping this website will solve um uh, do you, you know, have you done something like this before? Is your budget at least X? Um, are you the only stakeholder or are there others involved in the, like, so, you know, what that ends up doing is it's not only showing that we've done this before, there's a degree of safety to that. They know, they know we've done this. They know they are being led through a, a process. I mean, that is what a product is, right? Like a product is repeatable. It's, it's a system. It's, like I'm not going to the Apple store and saying, can I have a machine? Like, you know, it's, <laughs> they've got a turnkey way of giving me what I want, the value that I want. Right, right. And people are comprised, or businesses are comprised of people. And people want to feel heard and understood. So just having that process allows them to, to be heard and understood and know that you understand what their needs are. If you don't ever ask, what their needs are or what they're trying to accomplish or what their what their problems are that they're trying to solve then then they're going to assume that you don't know and maybe don't even care and i think that probably like you said it was a big a big benefit for your business because it made you stand out from everybody else right. just like if you're if if you're uh if you're on a date and you're talking to somebody or in a networking event and you're you're listening more than you're talking then people 
love to love to hear the sound of their own voice and love to hear that other people understand what they're what they're talking about and it's the same in business as it is in personal relationships it's the connection that people really really like absolutely uh, i mean there's there's the obvious which is the kind of that client uh, or not lead acquisition like the lead checklist like what what new lead project leads go through but then there's things like i mean i know i've always had a client onboarding checklist which is you know setting up you know set up the project in the project management tool you know do this do that and kind of things that are kind of repeatable i mean this was really benefit especially when you when you grow to a team because w- when i grew to a team the last thing that i wanted was you know, person A to deliver one experience, person B to deliver a different experience. <laughs> right. And let the, you know, let let the result, let the experience of the client change depending on who they worked with. Now, obviously, that's inevitable to a degree. But, you know, for the most part, I wanted to, if we're selling one thing and we haven't assigned the project to a team internally yet, like I, I want to know that I, I want to make sure that whatever we're selling before that happens, the what they actually get is in line with what we're selling. And the way to do that is to have, you know, you're selling your processes. I mean, that's what your part of your sales job is to sell what the experience will be like. And you need to really understand what you need to systematize that in order to make that happen. And if you don't have that written down and systematized, it's hard to improve it because you can't step back and look at that list of 10 things and think, okay, are, are there anything, I, is there anything I need to add or anything I need to subtract or which of those 10 steps is working and which, which isn't. It's hard to be, to be objective if you don't have that written out in a flow and a process so then you can then improve it and then, in, and then teach it to somebody else so they can replicate it. It's the same thing uh, that every franchise does that uh, franchises like, like McDonald's, Everywhere in the world you go, you go to a McDonald's, you get very consistently mediocre food. <laughs> and it's the, it's the same everywhere because they've got all of those processes. So if I'm going to open up a McDonald's, I pay my million dollars to buy a, buy a franchise and I get a big book of processes and all my job is is to do exactly what's in that book. And it's the same thing with our business, even though we're not franchises is we need to have that same book of processes so when we hire somebody or expand or bring on a client that we've got the playbook that we do exactly what we need to do to to scale that up or to deliver a product or to hire somebody. So would, would I be correct in saying that the best way to do this would be to you know develop a process around things you already do, keep doing it yourself, but around the process that you've documented and then when it gets to the point where there's no benefit to you being the one fulfilling that, that's when you then look to delegating either through um, outsourcing or hiring somebody to help you with that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And the more you can document without making it too cumbersome, the, the better. I've, I've uh, worked with people before that do everything on, by, by video. So they'll document an onboarding process for new employees all on video, and then when they hire somebody, they say, "Go watch these. Go watch this video that I made, that walks you through all of the steps you need to to do to be to fulfill this job." And it, it makes it easy, right? And it, it's useful too because you like, especially for some specific jobs, you don't you want to hire 
a lot of people up front and then, you know, filter down to only the people who are best. Right. Like, so I'm working on a project now where I've hired four people, but only one of them will end up ultimately being the person who I work with long term. Sounds like a reality show. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Work with Brennan. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, the benefit is I did exactly what you just said. I recorded a screencast showing what I needed done. I did it myself, you know, for a few examples. And then now I don't need to personally train each new applicant. Like I could have 100 people I'm interviewing and or 100 people I'm trying. And it it wouldn't I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd. There'd be a little more work on my part, but I mean, in the training bit, it wouldn't be, you know, just kind of keep reusing that, that video. Yeah. And it also increases your credibility with that person with the team because they know, you know what you're talking about. So you're going to have much better interaction and you're going to have more credibility and they'll have more trust in you. And they'll also not try to pull one over on you. They're not going to submit five hours for a project when they know that you know it only takes an hour. Right, right. So uh, before we go, t- tell me a bit about the, I know you do training for entrepreneurs and you also run an agency. Can you tell me a bit about both? Uh, yeah, yeah. The The site that I do the training for entrepreneurs is called invinciblestartup.com. And that, that grew out of the experience I've had with startups. I've done uh, over 15 different startups. Uh-huh. And I've, I've, had some successes and a lot of failures, and I wanted to take some of that experience from me and from other other startup entrepreneurs that I that I network with and that I know, and put that somewhere where people can get access to it, so they don't make the same mistakes and they know what's working now, and they kind of know have a resource to go to for education and mentorship, which I'm a big a big believer in. So that's why I started an invisible startup. And I've created a lot of training videos and do webinars and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it looks like you've got a lot of really, I mean, you've got the kind of the, I guess, the more interview part where you have other experts or, or entrepreneurs or investors, right, that you you talk to. Yeah. And then you've got stuff on QuickBooks, choosing and testing a product, patents. I mean, this is, yeah, it's really cool. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, one of the favorite parts of the of the site is interviewing successful entrepreneurs because that's, it's motivational for us and we can learn a lot about what they're doing and what they've done that, that didn't work and what, what did work. And I think it helps, it helps entrepreneurs kind of get motivated and, uh, and learn and grow and think about things that they haven't, they haven't thought of before. Right. And I mean, I mean, that's kind of the goal of this podcast even is, um, you know, so much of my own site is my own thoughts, my own ideas, and I, I love bringing on people like you because it helps to kind of get other perspectives. And yeah, I mean, there's overlap, obviously. But I mean, it's good to hear, you know, especially when I bring on somebody who's like a copywriter, like that's not usually my thing, but it's great getting to hear these kind of additional perspectives and everything else. Oh, and, for sure. Because you should always be, you should always be learning. And right, there's, there's right. always somebody, no matter how good you are at whatever you do, there's always somebody that is better that you can learn from. Yep. Yep. So true. And so what about the agency? Like what's, what's the quick background, 30 second nutshell, uh, background on that? I guess you started your, as a solo person, then grew a team or. Yeah. Yeah. I used to run an agency for, uh, it was a multi-million dollar agency for marketing for the dental industry. And I really liked that. So wow. when, when I left there, I, 
I wanted to start something of my own, and my agency is really small. I have a lot of uh, a lot of freelancers that I work with, actually, and we just do client work uh, or work with startups that uh, that come out of the invincible startup community. So it's just working on kind of the projects that I that I like to work on, and I try to keep keep clients around for a long time, increase that that lifetime customer value. So I've got several relationships with companies that I just work on a lot of their a lot of their branding and their social media to help them build and build an audience is our is our focus is building is a lot of retainer based where it's ongoing work yeah okay yeah cool. yeah a lot of retainer based not a lot of project by project because what i what i focus on is is building a brand building an audience and engagement through through social media and creating lead funnels and that's that's a long term process i think is building building up that that audience and building up your raving fans right Right. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Great. So Trajan, I just want to thank you again for coming on. Really, you know, I, like I was telling you pre-call, I mean, I'm I'm knee deep right now in outlining a bunch of new processes, a lot of which are things that I am new at, right? Like like we talked about video production. And I, I just want to thank you again, because I know a lot of people who are just kind of flying by the seam of their pants when it comes to running their business. And I, I, I know firsthand how helpful and, and, and beneficial having processes, having systems in place, even if you're just doing it all yourself, uh, can be. So again, your website is invinciblestartup.com and the best way to, I assume people can contact you that way too. Yeah. You can contact, contact me there or on Twitter at Trajan King, T-R-A-J-A-N-K-I-N-G. And, uh, I'm going to read a lot of these articles on your website. It sounds like you've got really got a handle on the on the processes. So you may not have even needed me for this podcast, but it was a great conversation. Talking no, about no, I, again, it's trying to, yeah, my goal is to bring as, as many perspectives and experiences and everything as possible. Um, because like you said, we, we can all learn from each other, including, I mean, and that's a lot of, to be honest, most of the articles that I've produced nowadays, they come from discussions I've had with people in my own audience. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. Okay, I think it's, I'm kind of researcher in chief now for for my <laughs> website, and I'm I'm very happy with that. Well, that's great. Yeah, and I would love to hear from anybody in your audience if you have any questions or just want to talk about some of these principles. We kind of talked about a lot of different things that we could spend another five hours digging more deeply on. But I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts or questions. Great. Well, Trajan, thank you again for coming on, and have an awesome day. Thanks, Brendan. You too. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Trajan. My goal for the podcast format-wise is imagine that me and the guest are at an industry conference. We just wrapped up going to a bunch of talks for the day. We're meeting over drinks later that night. What is that discussion we would have? What, what would we, how would we talk shop? What would we say and everything else? And that's how I've tried to model the podcast. I, I want to bring in people who have a wealth of experience, who have insights that either I share or sometimes I don't share. And let's, you know, let's just have a conversation around that. So I hope you've been enjoying these podcasts. Again, if you could go to iTunes, type in Brennan Dunn or Business of Freelancing in the podcast search, uh, click ratings and reviews and, and leave a review. I would, I would really appreciate that. And if you know anybody who you think would make a great guest for me to talk with, Go over to doubleyourfreelancing.com slash contact 
and get in touch. We'd love to talk with them. All right. So we will be back next week for another exciting edition of the Business of Freelancing podcast.